I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. Welcome to Off the Tracks podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. This episode is part of our Second Life series. This series was inspired by the podcast Second Life by Hilary Kerr, which spotlights how career changes can come at any age and stage. We are so excited to be joined by world competitor, Olympian, and lawyer extraordinaire Tuba Karadamir. Tuba moved to Canada when she was 12 to pursue her goals of strengthening her athletic craft as a figure skater. Throughout her career in skating, Tuba competed at the highest levels, including at the Worlds and at the Olympics. She also coached and continues to coach athletes who share the same dreams of elite competition once pursued by Tuba. In 2015, Tuba did a 180 turn or an axle jump, if you will, and went to law school. We're so excited to hear more about her journey. So welcome, Tuba. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, you guys. What a fun, fun podcast. (laughs) And uh, Tuba, you're uh, on an exciting moment in life. Um, You finished a long trial and then the next day got married. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah. So that was a bit interesting, but, you know, both went quite well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a double win. Yeah, it was a good weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Both personally and professionally. That's awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about how your career has evolved over time? So I started skating in Turkey when the first ice rink opened there in 1991. So from then on, I sort of, me and my cohort were like the first generation of figure skaters in Turkey. We figured out what the jumps were called by sort of watching world championships on TV and sort of doing the old rewind back and forth to try to figure out how these amazing skaters did what they did and sort of taught ourselves, you know, what skating was. Um, From there, I got on the Turkish national team, Um, you know, did a few international competitions and actually loved it. Um, They couldn't get me off the ice. And what happened was at a certain point at around age 11, all of the people that I was sort of competing against internationally started being able to do all these really more technically difficult elements, these triple jumps, and I couldn't. And so we looked around and said, you know what, we need to do something. If you really want to do this, these are my parents basically said, if if you really want to do this and pursue this as a career, um, we don't see that happening in Turkey. So they looked around to the States, uh, Russia and Canada, because those countries were the the highest performing countries at the Olympics uh, when you did medal counts. So they went to Russia because they were like, okay, this is closer to Turkey. We could deal with this. But they thought, you know, you don't speak Russian and we don't speak Russian. So we can't probably live there. The States, I mean, frankly, would have been okay, but it was hard to get into at the time for immigration purposes. Canada seemed to be the answer as Canada, you know, has elite athletes in figure skating. Um, It's a traditional sport here and you guys do quite well. And Um, We speak English and English is spoken here in Ontario. So, you know, kind of a no brainer. Picked Canada, was here seven months later, um, looked around a few ice rinks around the Toronto area and went to Barrie to try out the Mariposa School Skating, which had a lot of um, international level athletes at the time training there and loved it, loved the environment. And that was it. So moved to Canada, kept training here. Obviously had a lot of ups and downs being an elite level athlete but um, was able to compete at eight European championships, eight worlds, um, two Olympics. So after that, um, 
actually during that time in order to sort of afford skating. I actually coached as well. I didn't think I would like coaching because um, I am a bit of a perfectionist. So I didn't think I would have the patience to teach, but I actually found as I started that I love teaching and sort of being able to share my experience and technical knowledge with other skaters who wanted to get better and just be the best that they could be. Um, So I coached for, I don't know, about 25 years actually till now. Sorry. Yeah. 20 years, 20 years. Um, Yeah. So I coached for a long, long time and then quit skating amateur wise after the Vancouver Olympic games in 2010. Um, After 2010, kept coaching for about four or five more years and went, you know what? I want to do something different as a career. I would love to be able to have skating be part of my life. I also was a technical specialist at the time, which meant sort of I was on the judging panel. So when competitions occurred, I would be part of the panel that decided, you know, what elements were being done and what they were worth. Um, And I thought, you know, let me do something else. So law school it was. (laughs) Took the LSATs, um, did all right, got into University of Ottawa and moved to Ottawa. Um, It was a great, great experience for me because as far as university went, um, I went to York before that, but I didn't really go (laughs) because I was sort of an international level athlete. So I traveled quite a bit. I was never really in Canada that much. So I would just kind of go to classes, uh, sorry, go to um, exams instead of classes and just, you know, thought school was basically just exams and training. (laughs) So law school was a lot different, obviously. Um, I actually had to go to classes because they were very, very difficult. You couldn't just go to the exams. Um, But anyway, now I work um, uh, at a small uh, firm in Aurelia, which is close to where I live. Um, Really happy with what I'm doing. I'm doing civil litigation and a little bit of family law since sort of the COVID pandemic has happened. Um, I was continuing to coach through law school um, as well as articling and sort of my first little bit of um, being a lawyer. But unfortunately, COVID shut down our rinks. So I was not able to continue doing that. So that's where I'm at right now. Uh, Chubut, thank you so much for sharing. It is not every day we have a world and Olympic competitor on the podcast. In fact, it is no days except today. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit, I'm selfishly just so curious, if you could tell us a little bit about the highlight or some of the highlights of your professional skating career. And I'm sure there were also many lowlights because being a professional athlete is not just like all shiny and fun. Um, but if you could fill us in on some of your personal highlights, whether they seem like they wouldn't be a big deal to like someone else, but they were a really big deal to you or just like what brought you a lot of joy during that period of your life. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, there were a lot of lows, there were injuries, there was this and that, but I found every day that I wanted to show up in the morning at six 30 in the morning. I wanted to be at that cold ice rink falling all over my butt, you know, but training and getting better each day. And that's because I had moments like, um, let's say one of my favorite moments was Calgary worlds after, uh, 2006 Olympic games, which were in Italy that year, we had uh, worlds were held in Calgary, which was really cool because it was sort of in my home country of Canada. And the highlight of it was that my mom was able to come and actually watch me live for basically the first time at such a big event. Because these competitions occur, you know, the Olympics and worlds occur in um, faraway places and she had to work. She was never really able to come and watch me. And I remember I performed my short program at 
Calgary games and I did a clean program. So I basically, it was perfect, which is hard to do and is very rare. So you appreciate that as an athlete as it is, like did not take one step wrong. Um, again, very rare. (laughs) So I was thrilled about that, but looking out, um, into the audience as I bowed and seeing my mom clapping, that was a huge big deal for me because my parents had sacrificed so, so much to get me to that moment. So it was very cool to see her, um, sort of enjoying it with me. Um, another moment, obviously, um, the Olympics were huge. That was, that was a big thing for me. Um, not only did it sort of solidify that I had arrived and that Turkey was a country to be, you know, dealt with in the Olympic sort of stage in figure skating in a winter sport, um, which was new for Turkey as we had never had an athlete qualify uh, for the Olympics. Um, it was the opening ceremonies. Like the, I was a flag bearer for Turkey. That was something else. I actually felt like a rock star just walking into that, you know, stadium. Um, I know it's like figure skating. It's not, you know, not curing cancer, (laughs) but for me, um, as like a 21 year old walking into that stage with all the pomp and circumstance, it was a memory that I'll always cherish. Um, yeah. So, you know, having my parents sort of be at events, opening ceremonies, those were some of the things that I'll always, always, uh, remember um there's so many more but those are those are some of the highlights for sure oh that's that's really cute I really like that um I um I have a lot of fond memories with my mom watching (laughs) figure skating (laughs) I remember my mom used to always love putting figure skating on the tv and that's just one thing that would just be on the tv constantly in the winters and just cuddling up on the couch with my mom watching so I'm pretty sure she listens to this podcast so she's gonna be very excited for this episode and uh very jealous that I get to speak to uh Olympic figure skater um she always um I'm Kurt Browning whenever he comes to like a mall to do a signing like she's like the first person in line she's like get my signature. I got to be there. She like loves all the Canadian figure skaters. So, um, she's got good taste because Kurt is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Actually one of the last, like, I want to say it was like the summer before COVID or I don't know how to describe it. It all blurs in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The before days, I'm pretty sure one of the last things we did was for mother's day, got her tickets to go see, uh, the skating with the stars and Hamilton or something. Who's a favorite daughter? Who's the favorite daughter? Yeah. 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 You won that game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, um, it is just nice to hear that, you know, you have so many fond memories on the other side of the TV. (laughs) Right. Right. No, it's, it's a figure skating sort of brings people together. I find well Olympics does. Right. But Mm -hmm. because figure skating, I find is such a big part of this country, like the history of the country. It's like hockey and figure skating are one of those to me, like mother sports, they call them in Turkey. I don't know what you call them in Canada. Like they're just traditional sports that you guys are very good and excel at. Like you've always got people at the Olympics and on the podium. That's huge as a national pride thing. So I think, I think it's one of those things that unifies people. And this is off in a different branch, but like because of COVID, there was a lot of controversy about whether the Summer Olympics should happen even, right? So everyone sort of had an opinion. But I think at the end of the day, it brought this country together to be able to cheer on all these athletes, you know, and sort of it unifies the world in that, you know, we're all sort of, you know, we cheered for people that, you know, weren't even Canadian or weren't even whatever, just because of the way that they persevered through whatever challenges that they had. So I think sport has a huge way of unifying people and, you know, 
brand offshoot of this conversation, but I feel that way for sure. So yeah. Um, maybe one day, the next time I'm like in the GTA area, I would love if you could teach me how to stop when I'm skating. Um, that's not something I excel in. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm going to just embarrass myself even more. I really can only push with like my right foot when I'm skating. Um, so maybe I could, uh, retain you for a session on like not any tricks because I will definitely need like an orthopedic surgeon on call if that happens, but at least just like how to push with my left foot and how to stop. I feel like that would just be a really fun way for us to spend an afternoon. And if I'm being honest, probably an entire weekend. No, no, I think we could do that in like half an hour. Honestly, <laughs> I got you. I'll hold your hand and then we'll teach you how to bend your knees properly. And, you know, just not like slippery muscle. <laughs> I want one of like the red little bars that like little kids push on the ice. Yes. I feel like that's chair. Yeah. Anything. Yes. Anything. Well, I could be your chair. I could just hold on to you and just, okay. you know, you I know just, that. It, it won't take long. It's just, you know, I'm just that good of a coach. <laughs> that, that's what I'm <laughs> And so humble. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Tuba, I'm also wondering what led you to choose law as your career after, um, your professional skating career, were you considering anything else at the time? What drew you to law? How did you kind of end up there? So I never had one of those overarching dreams when I was a kid of being a lawyer. I'm not one of those people that, um, always dreamed of being a lawyer. I always dreamed of being an Olympian. So once that was done, I had to look around and say, okay, I do this coaching thing and it's good income. It's comfortable, but I want something different, something more. And I figured medical school would just take too long. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But law school was basically because, um, in my life sort of throughout my childhood and, you know, teenage years and growing up and going to the Olympics and stuff, I found that knowing the rules of the game really helped, um, get me to a better place. Um, speaking of that, like basically my, so my parents were immigrants, obviously we immigrated to Canada all together as a family. And so they had to do sort of menial jobs that were, you know, nobody accepted their degrees that they had from Turkey. So, um, I found that a lot of employers took advantage of their lack of language skills, as well as their lack of, uh, knowledge of employment laws in Canada. Um, so for a while I saw my parents sort of suffer through that. And then eventually we learned the rules of the game. And I saw the difference that it made in their lives. Um, that's one thing. The other one was um, the judging and figure skating is, uh, I don't know if you know about the 2000 sort of one Olympic scandal with Canada sweethearts, Jamie and David, they were pairs, Jamie Soleil, David Pelche. And there was like a French judge controversy. The Russian team came first. And then basically they had made a very obvious error in their, in their program and the Canadian sweethearts had performed absolutely perfectly um, at the pivotal moment, and they still came second. So because of that, the judging system eventually was changed significantly. And what happened was this was sort of the years where I was trying to qualify for the first time for the Olympics. Um, what I found was the new judging system was very much cumulative and points-based, and I could capitalize and maximize my points just by knowing exactly what everything I was doing was worth and sort of recalculating as I was doing my own program, as I made mistakes or didn't. Um, and knowing that really got me to the Olympics, basically. The, the reason I qualified, honestly, was because of the change in the system, because the new system, the athlete was able to control what points they got 
to a degree, whereas the old system sort of was like whether the judge likes you or not, or whether they like your country or whether there's back deals going on as had happened in the Olympics in 20 and 2001 in Salt Lake City. So I found that knowing the rules really helped in every aspect of my life. Um, whatever was important to me, which was my family's well-being as well as the Olympics, those were only better and only happened because we knew the rules, the laws. So I thought, I want to learn how this country works and help other people figure this out because it's not fair to people who don't know, um, you know, how the system works. Um, at the time I was coaching, so I had, I had international athletes trying to move to Canada, trying to follow rules to represent various countries. So I was already sort of helping people in the background um, of figuring out, you know, how to best figure uh, reach their goals. So I said, why not? Let's try law school. Um, again, I sort of did the LSAT on a bit of a whim because I, I don't know, just thought, let's try this because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, honestly, at the time. But once I got in, I was like, okay, I can't really say no to this because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I have to make the best of this and move to Ottawa. Um, and the rest is history slash present. <laughs> Wow, that's such an interesting perspective. And I won't lie, like I've watched quite a bit of figure skating when the Olympics rolled around every couple of years, but it's not something I've followed at length. But what I have heard a lot about is how like subjective the judging can be. And it's interesting to hear how greatly your career was impacted by that change in judging and like change in scoring procedures and how you connect that experience to wanting to become a lawyer. I just think that that's like such a neat trajectory. So on the same path, how did changing careers? So how did going from being on the ice all day, being really active and like physically training as an athlete, um, to going to sitting at a desk, studying, working, being an articling student, now being an associate, what type of impact did that have on your mental health as well as I'm sure in turn your physical health? Yeah, it's been a big change. Honestly, even through law school, I worked almost full time. So I would go to the rink super early in the morning, 6.30 to 8 maybe, and then go to classes depending on what my classes were. And then I would teach every weekend because again, um, law school is an expensive ordeal. Um, and I went when I was 30. So like, I wanted to make sure that I could stand on my own two feet. So I definitely wanted to make work sort of a bit of a priority, honestly. Um, and then after law school, I continued teaching from six thirty in the morning through articling, um, till eight. And then I would go to work at eight till whatever time and then teach on the weekends. Um, again, OSAP loans as well as other student loans were real. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, I paid those off. So, um, I was still active at that time. As soon as COVID hit, the rinks closed, the gyms closed. So that sort of avenue I had to relieve the stress of being a lawyer disappeared immediately. So for the first few months, I definitely, I didn't realize sort of the impact that was having on my body and my mental health. But at one point I looked at myself and I said, okay, you got to do something about this. And it's too cold in the winter to go and do anything outside. So I started doing like YouTube workouts at home. And I found that sort of turned both my mental and physical health around. Now, now that things are open again, of course, um, I'm going to the gym as much as I can, but it's, it's definitely not the same. Um, uh, going to work 
and sitting at your desk all day and reading all day definitely has a huge impact in on my mental health as well as physical health. Sometimes now I get up at three in the morning and I'm stressing about some case I have, you know? Um, so what I'm trying to do more of is just hit the gym every day, like have a con- consistent plan and a schedule and just try to follow that. I, I can't say I do it every day, but that's what I strive for because I have seen the difference that it made um, in my both physical and mental health. I find it's really important to get some type of physical activity. Um, again, it's easier in the summer because I can go outside and play tennis with my husband, but in the winter, for sure, um, I definitely need to remind myself when I don't feel like going to the gym from, from work to go to the gym. Um, it's so easy just to sit, um, come home and sit at the end of the day. And I've really, really find that knowing my body for the last 25 years and how it works optimally, I've learned that that physical exercise at the end of the day, or if you can do it at the start, whatever works for you is so important uh, for my health. And I assume for everybody's health, honestly. Yeah. I think Piper and I would both agree with that. (laughs) I am. I played field hockey in university, which is nowhere close. Let's be clear to an Olympic (laughs) figure skater, but even just the change of um, like in university training twice a day or having the time and the space to be training like twice a day, um, in season and then off season, um, and, and working out in the summers versus like transitioning into law school was like a hard transition and fitting in, uh, physical exercise and everything is really hard sometimes. And one thing I'm learning to differentiate between right now is um, mental exhaustion and physical exhaustion, because sometimes I'm really mentally exhausted and I confuse that for being physically exhausted. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like you need rest for both, but sometimes having that physical uh, exercise thrown in, even if you do feel kind of like mentally exhausted, it really does help, even if it's just a walk or something low impact just helps clear the mind because it can be really easy to just feel so drained after a day of sitting at at your desk. Yeah, no, I feel honestly, most of my problems is I think 90% mental exhaustion. And that can be, like you said, alleviated with just a walk around or just some type of breathing exercises that you can do even just at your desk or just get up and print to a further away printer in your office. So you can just take that. I do, I've done that. I've literally just walked around the office. Um, so I find that that's a huge thing for me. I long for the days where my muscles were so sore, I couldn't move. And that's why I was sitting as opposed to this factum I have to write and whatever else cases I have to read, you know, um, it's good. It's just, it's very different for me. And I think I've sort of cracked what I need to do for my own for my own health, both again, mentally and physically. But again, I long for those days where I was so sore. I couldn't, (laughs) that my muscles were so sore. I couldn't move. Now I'm like, I am so exhausted and I carried in my shoulders and I'm like, I just get that roller and just roll those shoulders out and those do those neck stretches that, you know, um, again, like there's lots of things on YouTube if you don't know exactly sort of how to do it. But, um, I always recommend to people who say these to me and my friends who are stressed out because we all are sort of new at this and coming into it during COVID has been a different challenge, as you know, Um, you know, so I just go, here's a link to a YouTube video that will help you (laughs) because I find that, you know, neck stretches, all that, even if it's in the middle of your day is just a huge help to just even breathing, just oxygen intake into your brain 
is huge. And um, yeah, I do recommend when my friends text me because they're stressed out that just watch this video and do this for two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a change, but I think if we make it a priority to take care of ourselves first, then we can do the work that we need to do for our clients. It's like that airplane, you know, safety videos that they have. I'll put your own mask on before you help the passenger next to you. You have to make sure that you are okay so that you can advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. Yeah, that is an awesome metaphor. I really, really like that. Tybra, did you have something? Yeah, I just love listening to you talk, Juba. And like everything you're saying is so measured. And I think a big part of just what you probably bring to the table amongst a million other awesome qualities as a lawyer um, is just the incredible discipline it took to be such a high level athlete and like the mental discipline and the physical discipline. And I just, I can't imagine all of those cumulative experiences and like how they continue to shape you as you like grow throughout your legal career. And I just think it's so interesting hearing your story. Um, and I'm just so happy. I'm just like, so enjoying this conversation and for anyone listening, like I'm feeling pretty sick today. And so I'm trying to like be quiet and, and really tune in to Tuba and Aaron because I, I just think I sound really bad, but um, it's not just, at all. <laughs> it's just so interesting. And I'm so excited. And I remember when Aaron and I met with you a couple months ago to sort of get your take on coming on the podcast. Um, Aaron and I logged off and we spent like logged off Zoom with you and we spent both of us spent a, a like a bit of time on YouTube watching some of your. Oh no! <laughs> no, it was so it was so fun, Erin. I'm not sure if I wasn't supposed to say that, but it was so fun, and it wasn't even like a coordinated effort. Like one of us texted the other and said, "Oh, we've been watching. Like I've been watching Chuba's routines," and the other person said, "Oh my gosh, me too!" And so anyone ideas. <laughs> so embarrassing. Maybe we'll link some in the episode. Oh god! We'll, Let we'll me pick see. the one you link, maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, the one where I skate well. <laughs> the one that you skated perfectly. Yes, that's the one. The 2006 I, one. I mean, Aaron and I aren't judges by any means. Um, and like I said, I can't even stop or push with two feet when I skate. So to me, it's all great. But no, this is this is just so wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed our chat. Um, and I enjoyed this one as well. Um, I just find that I love talking to people and. Like you guys are doing such a cool job with this podcast that I'm like, I want to be a part of this for sure, because it's just such an interesting question you're asking and it's not asked anywhere else. I think it's cool to have a second career as a, a lawyer. And I think that more people sort of need to take advantage of their prior opportunities and experiences and marry it with their new career, because it's not like it used to be where, you know, you have a, you know, 30, 40 year career in the same job that you always had and you stay there until you retire. I think these days people have many iterations of careers and they sort of are reborn from the ashes of the old one, right? So I think this is a really cool podcast and you guys are asking some cool questions and I'm so happy to be part of the conversation. Well, thanks for coming. I, I have another question for you. So we heard a bit about how the scoring system in skating kind of changed the game and changed skating for the better. Do you have any uh, ideas or thoughts on what could change in the legal profession that would sort of change the game, change the scoring system? I think 
we've done an amazing job sort of by we, I mean, the legal profession has done an amazing job in the COVID times to sort of come to the 21st century and use things like Zoom court and be able to maybe gasp email documents to one another and to the court. I know, I know it's, so I'm really happy about that for sure. Oh, and the recent, uh, yeah, the recent uh, hyperlinking in the rules of civil procedure gives me life. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, why am I scrolling through all these anyway? So things like that can be huge, obviously. Um, but I hope, I hope that we keep going in that direction where we make it a little bit more accessible for people. But I think, I think we have a long way to go in the legal profession. I won't say in any way I'm an expert at all, but I think we need to rethink how we educate upcoming lawyers, uh, starting from law school to how we do the bar exam and the format that it's in and how we go through articling and make sure that people have the experience and the knowledge they need to be able to, you know, hit the ground running as they're, once they're called to the bar. I think there's huge deficiencies in that just because I've lived through it recently. Um, you know, I had support from my firm, but I know lots of people didn't. Uh, lots of my friends were very stressed out. Not that I wasn't, but more so stressed out than I was. And I think there needs to be sort of a rethinking and modernizing of the law school education system of how we, how we grow our next generation of lawyers. I think we need to do a lot of, a lot more sort of trauma-informed things as well. I have clients coming in, you know, family law clients that are in crisis situations and I have a hard time finding resources for them in the community, you know? These kinds of things we don't really teach at all in law school. Um, again, where I'm at, we have some resources, but that's not common. So I think I think we need to rethink sort of how we do, how we modernize everything. It's not, I know we work in a system with, many precedents, but I think we need to look at what we're doing. And just because it's been done a certain way forever, doesn't mean it needs to go forward in that way. But, you know, these are overarching sort of goals that I even have as I get more experienced and maybe, you know, have a say in a committee at some point to be able to influence anything, but we're not, I'm not there yet, certainly. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. And everything you're saying is so important. I think moving things forward and making things more accessible and modernizing the way that we do law, practice law, um, engage in these discussions with people. And I, I think you're so right. Like I feel very strongly about bar exam. I feel very strongly about the like way legal education is delivered and every school does things differently. And every school here in Canada has different uh, parts of their programming um, that is sort of getting with the times, but I think like there's always more work to do. And so it's just like a lifelong learning thing for our profession and people need to keep um, an open mind to it. Um, because if, if we don't keep an open mind to these changes, then we're always, the profession is always going to be a few steps kind of behind the eight ball where it is right now. And I just want to keep seeing it moving forward. So yeah, no, I really appreciate that perspective. So we always finish off the podcast by asking our guests the same question, um, which is what is something new you've learned recently? I know you just, as Aaron mentioned at the beginning, you got married at 
the beginning of September, end of August, beginning of September. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you went to Turkey to visit your family <laughs> and have like a wedding celebration there. And so I'm sure there's, it's the past month has been like a total whirlwind in your personal and professional life, being on vacation, getting married, playing catch up, all those things. Oh yeah. Is there something in that period of time or in the past little while that you've learned that you'll kind of carry forward with you? So one of the things that I've sort of learned through the last year and a half, two years through the COVID um, era, let's call it, let's hope we're leaving that behind. But anyway, is that if you're happy with yourself, who you are, and if you're happy with, you know, your life at home, then, then you can pretty much get through any challenge. Honestly, we as a society have gone through a lot, uh, shutdowns, uncertainty, economic uh, uncertainty as well. Um, you know, Lots of people lost their jobs. Lots of people, let's say in law, didn't get articling, didn't get hired. You know, lots of people had the challenges of working from home. But that's the thing is if if you're in tune with who you are and you're happy with who that is, and you can see that this is the person that you wanted to become and you're or you're going in the right direction, you're taking steps to be the person that you want to be, then you can sort of get through any of the challenges with yourself as a support. But as well as if you have people at home, family members, uh, found family, you know, your friends that you consider family, then you can get through all together any sort of challenge that life throws your way. Um, is it going to be happy and amazing and trending upwards every day? Absolutely not. Um, I know that from my days as an athlete and as a coach that, you know, not every day is a step up. You're going to have two steps forward, five steps back sometimes, but in the end, if you, again, are happy with who you are and where you are or happy with the steps you're taking to become that person that you want to be, then you'll get through it. That's one of the things that I've, that has become clear to me in the last little bit. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Tuba. And again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and spending time with us here on the show. We are so excited to share more interesting journeys like yours throughout this series. And Thank you so much, Erin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Tuba, I just wanted to say it's so clear from talking to you that you've spent time being a coach and an educator and teaching people to like to skate and to kind of grow into themselves as human beings because I feel like we have learned so much from this conversation. And I know that when I listen back to this episode, I am really going to think about what it means to like take time by myself, think about what makes me happy and like feel grounded. And you've really given us really great insight into what that looks like. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Piper. It was an awesome conversation and I hope to have more with you guys in the future and can't wait to tune in and learn from the others that you speak with. Thank you. So to stay up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Off the Tracks Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.